Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 24, International Quilt Festival Houston, recorded on November 3rd, 2014. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. So we don't have a guest today, which means I'm going to turn the introduction over to you, Mom, to explain exactly what it is we're doing. Today we're probing deeply into what Julie did last week, and this is every parent's dream, because how many times do you get to make your kids sit down and answer every question that you have? Once I would they... say with you, very, very often. <laughs> Once the kid gets his or her own driver's license, you never find out another thing. It's all that time driving them around that you overhear things. And that's a form of intelligence work. <laughs> Those days are over. So now I have you at my, at my beck and call. So let's find out first what the International Quilt Fist Festival is and what you are doing there. Okay, so, uh, and I'm not a super expert on this, but basically International Quilt Festival um, Houston is, it's, guess what, it's in Houston. That should be the first thing you know. And guess what, it's international and it's a quilt festival. But let me do a slightly better explanation. Um, it's a four-day quilt extravaganza in which there are unbelievable quilts on display. Uh, some people would argue the best in the country. It is the... Uh, place for your quilts to be seen if you're a quilter. And um, there's also a huge vendor market. It is preceded by a, I think it's three-day quilt market, which is the quilt equivalent of like the Craft and Hobby Association, so of CHA. It's a trade show uh, where a lot of fabric companies, sewing machine dealers, etc., for store owners, etc., to come and do stuff. And of course, there's a lot of business that goes on during quilt market of people and designers, et cetera, et cetera. There, during quilt festival, which is for anybody who wants to sign up can come. There's also tons of classes and demonstrations. And it's just a great place to find out like what's new in quilting, buy things that maybe you can't find at your local shop or you know, it's hard on the internet to touch stuff and see fabrics and all that kind of stuff. And then to be incredibly bowled over and inspired by the uh, quilts that people have made. Hmm. So let's find out what your role was there first. Okay, so I went, um, brother asked me to come because they wanted me to do some demos with a scanning cut. And, um, you know, Brothers a sewing machine company. I mean, there are a lot of things, but they are also a sewing machine company. And so they, the scanning cut, it was really important to them to, they actually developed it for people to cut fabric. And so I was really there to show the quilters how to use it and show, it's, it's hard to explain the scanning cut, unfortunately, without seeing it. It's one of those things, but there's a way that you can cut your quilt blocks and add a quarter inch seam allowance automatically. So I did a lot of demos showing that. Also, people are interested in applique, showing them a lot about how you can, either for needle turn or for machine applique, how easy it is to cut out your fabric, doing it that way. And then people, of course, are skeptical, and they come over and they say, you know, this thing can't, thing can't really cut fabric, can it? Because fabric's actually very tough to cut. It's much tougher than paper to cut. Um, so then it's, you know, a thousand times a day you're trying to turn your non-believers into believers when you show them exactly how easy it is, you know? I also think... It's hard because there are, um, 
so many electronic cutters out there now that people can't figure out what the difference is between them. So, you know, I'm there to sort of not really be a salesperson because I'm not selling anything, but just to share what I know about the machine with people and what my experiences have been. Okay. Why don't you walk us through what a typical day on the show floor is like for someone like you? Okay. So if you're a vendor which is what we were, then you get a badge that lets you get into the show floor. I think it's like two hours before the show opens. So because I have to work all day long and I don't get to see any of the, oh my gosh, I think I'm turning into New Yorker. Did you hear the awe in my lung? (laughs) Oh no, this is terrible. Okay. Because I had to work all day long, um, I don't really get to see the show, you know, so what I did several days is I would come a little bit early during that time when you're supposed to be setting up your booth. And instead, I walked around and looked at the quilts and at some of the vendors and stuff like that. So your day starts pretty early because, you know, I could be in there at like 7.30 or 8. And then the show opened each day at 10. So I have to be in the booth at 10. And then Mariah, who is the marketing director for the Scanning Cut, was in the booth, and she was awesome and did all the setup, so I didn't have to do any of that. And I would come, and then you almost immediately, when the show doors open, there are people in there, and you just start talking. And I like to... um, I like to customize my demos for whoever I'm talking to because there's no use, you know, in telling somebody something that they're not um, interested in. So usually the I actually think of the demo less as like me telling you something and more as a conversation. So I like to say, you know, what kind of stuff do you make or what are you interested in or what do you know about the machine or, you know, et cetera, because if I know what you're interested in, then I can help you more, you know? And one of the things I figured out as I was demoing over the days is a lot of people were worried, you know, if they don't have computer skills, you know, they're saying, well, I don't have any computer skills and I know this doesn't have a computer, but I'm scared I won't be able to do it. So I started to literally hand over my stylus and be like, okay, well, you do it because I have no way of knowing if it's too hard for you. You have to kind of try it. So anyway, so every day, um, is kind of different because you never know who's going to come up. And sometimes there's a big crowd and they're eight deep and you're yelling and I lost my voice a couple of times. So then they gave me a mic, but then the vendors around us complained because I was too loud. So then they took the mic away. <laughs> but um, I thought I was, I thought, who doesn't want to listen to my voice exactly. over a microphone? I mean, you're listening to it right now. Anyway, so then... Um, you know, you're answering questions and figuring stuff out. And sometimes it's one-on-one and sometimes it's to a big group. Um, and then during the middle of the day, you, um, Mariah was, is very nice. And so she would relieve me if I needed to go to the ladies room or if I needed to eat lunch or something like that. Um, and then you come back and you do more and more and more and more, um, demos. And some days the show went until seven, So that's a very, very, very long day. Um, And then I also had the extra added fun of, I ended up in the emergency room my first day in Houston, um, and they had to put me on antibiotics. And so, and I'm completely non-contagious, and I was not contagious at the show, just so you know. Um, But so, and the antibiotics made me very foggy, so I definitely had to fake it the whole time that I was with it, and I wasn't, you know, feeling completely and totally like my head was a big marshmallow. Wow. So that's it. That's my day. And then I would go back to the hotel room, order room service, and fall face first into the bed. Sounds glamorous. It, I have a very, very glamorous life. I'm not sure if people realize that. So basically, it's like putting on a performance. 
It is. It is. And the thing that I have to remember is, I re- okay, so for those of you who don't know, my mother's on the school committee in her town. And one of the things she always says that's important to her is, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Mom, but you do always say this. You say that, like, for each child, this is their only time in fourth grade. They don't get another time in fourth grade. So that's why this has to be It has to be right. 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 You know, mm-hmm. and so that's the thing with the demos, which is I may be doing, you know, 50 or 100 demos in a day. But for that person, that's their only demo. So it is it is really tiring because you have to have up energy and you have to be right on point and you can't be cranky at all. And you have to have a big smile on your face. And, you know, you want the experience to be a good one for that person every single time. What's the skill set that makes someone good at doing this kind of work? Um, when you're awesome? No, I no. mean, I think. <laughs> Goes without think... saying. <laughs> but let's just What's... keep saying it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, this, this, it's funny. The other day, I was, so a woman walked up to me at the booth. She said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm being awesome. What are you doing? <laughs> Which I thought was hilariously funny, and she did too. But anyway, I mean, I think a skill set is, uh, I think you have to be um, very familiar with your product. That's the number one thing. Because people ask a million questions, and they can be, because they're interested in what they're interested in. So people, I had a guy come over who asked me a million questions that were related to making model airplanes and using the scan and cut to do that. You know, on the other hand, I have, people, I have a woman who uh, has a booth over in the corner where she sells washed well, uh, wash, I'm going to, there's a tongue twister, washed wool felt. And she was like, can the scan and cut cut through that? And she, you know, brought over some samples and wanted me to cut it. Then somebody else is asking me about minky, which is this kind of really soft, fuzzy material. And then somebody else wants to know if it'll cut through, you know, their kid's problem. And then somebody else, I mean, so it's it's an interesting thing because you have to have an incredible knowledge about the product. I also think you have to be friendly and not like fake friendly. You have to genuinely, you know, like people and be interested in them because people come to you, you know, and they can sense. I I think you can sense when someone's like, you know, selling you or they're bored with you or they want you to go away, you know. And then I also think you have to be a good listener because it's very easy to like hear the start of the question and be like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, and do whatever. But you have to listen and really hear the question that the person's asking. Otherwise, you know, your answer it isn't going to be accurate. But I think, but I also think that all these skills are the things that are about being a good teacher. And I think that being a, a demo artist and being a teacher are the, are the same thing. Hmm. Well, you did have people who came to you, had already bought scan and cuts and came to you with issues. Yeah, it was really interesting. So there were two groups of people who had bought scanning cuts previously. One group was people who came to proselytize, and that was awesome. Like, they would come by, and they'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, or ladies and the one husband who managed to get dragged (laughs) along – you know, uh, I have this machine, I love it, and I do everything with it, and I did this, and they like, and they would whip out their phones and show pictures of what they had done with it and stuff. Um, and a lot of times they were coming by because they were looking for like, what are the new products? What are the new additional things that I can buy to go with my machine? Then there was a crowd of people who came by and said, um, I bought it and I can't figure out, you know, how to do X, Y, or Z. And then immediately I would say, well, have you gone to scanandcut.com and looked at the videos there? And they would say no. 
And so then I'd be like, okay, well, that's step one. And then step two, you know, tell me your problem. And I'd be like, okay, well, this is what you do. And they were like, really, it's that simple. And I'd be like, yes. And I think what I learned from that is that, A, people are really intimidated by the machine and that they think that they can somehow break it, you know? That's how I felt when I first got a computer. Yeah, I think people feel like that all the time. And I think the thing that I tell everybody when they get the scanning cut, and I think this is true of your computer too, frankly, which is I say, press every single button. You know, it's like sometimes I get emails from people that are like, uh, what will happen if I use this on that? And the answer I almost always write back when I answer my email, which is not very often, is I say, uh, try it because I don't know. And the only way that you learn is by knowing. And, you know, people say to me all the time, like, where did you go to school to be an artist? And I said, I went to the school of I wonder how this works. You know, and I think that's about trying things over and over. So it's like when I tell everybody, push every button, try it. What's the worst thing that happens is that you pushed a button you didn't mean to and you have to start over. But you're just experimenting and playing. It's like when people come to class and I always say, please don't let the class project that you want to make today be your heirloom wedding album that you're giving for your parents' 75th anniversary, right? Because mm-hmm. this is play and it's experimentation. So it's just like the first project that you make with your scanning gut shouldn't be like this. Part. It should be just playing and seeing how everything works and pushing every button because that's, you know, knowledge is power. And I think that's true of anything. It's just like, I wasn't interested in chemistry until I started painting. And now I geek out all the time about how the chemical reactions of various things work. And I wanted to know why, uh, you know, pigment ink sits up and dye ink goes in and it's because the molecules are larger and etc. Anyway, I'm just saying, I think um, it's very easy to get intimidated, but the only way through it is not for someone to tell you what the right way is. It's for you to just try stuff. You should sell t-shirts that say graduate of, I wonder how this works university. (laughs) I should. It's a very good school and anybody can go and it's free. The best. I think that uh, people are always thinking there's a right and a wrong way to do things. Uh, And Right. And I think the difference is there's an easier and a harder way. And you part know? of part of art is breaking through some of that thinking and doing something a, a different way. I just think it's exploration. Otherwise, right, well, let's just paint by numbers. I agree. And I think that there there's something also about like if if I it's the difference. OK, if you had a horrible accident and you were like confined to a wheelchair for like a period of time and then you had to learn how to walk all over again. Right. Mm-hmm. There are people who are scared to get out of the chair because they're scared of falling. Mm-hmm. And then there are the people who are like, I'm going to fall a thousand times, but then I'm eventually going to walk. You Which know, is actually the approach children have. Exactly. And the thing is, I think it's. I think the person who's scared can get there eventually, but it's just so much harder. And the question is, you know, you have to ask yourself, like, which is worse, falling down or never walking again? And at some point, I think you make the decision that never walking again is harder, right? So at least I assume. I have no idea. And I hope that I never know what that decision is like. Anyway, so, but I think it is the ability to be willing to fail it's the ability to fall down on your face that in everything in life but particularly in art I think is important because one of the best things that anybody said so I just finished this long inktober 
thing that I was doing, which for anybody who doesn't know, um, Inktober is uh, the month of October doing an ink drawing every day for the 31 days of October. And I decided to do lettering because I wanted to just push myself to get better at lettering. Um, and one of the things, the best compliment I think that I got from somebody is they said, you know what I love is that all of these feel different. And I love it too when people say that when they look at like my faces or anything else. I'm not drawing the same face over and over again with a different background or a different color. I'm not doing the same letters over and over again. I'm not doing the same. And I think that's because I'm constantly wanting to explore and to try and to push and to play, you know, and that is the basis, I think, of not only growing as an artist, but of creating art. Because what is a series, if you're working in a series, other than pushing at the boundaries of a single idea in a million different directions instead of settling for a single choice? By the way, if people want to see a lot of different uh, people's Inktobers, they can go to, what, hashtag Inktober? Yeah, exactly. You can just see tons of them. I mean, there are there On are Twitter hundreds or Instagram. Yeah, there's hundreds of thousands of posts of Inktober, and a lot of it is um, illustrators who do comic book illustrations, um, and they tend to be a little on the macabre side of things, but um, they're really fun, and people are so talented. I mean, that's the amazing thing to me. You had some stories from the show floor. <laughs> I wonder if you'd share a couple of them. Like oh no oh oh so so <laughs> twice twice in one day our table got knocked over so we were working on um I'm not sure exactly how it was constructed I think poorly is the answer but so it was like um like a counter height tabletop and then it, I'm not sure how the legs and everything were put together but it was a very like you know when you travel with a booth everything's put together a little bit wonky right. So first, a woman, so there are, the quilt festival is very large and um, quilts tend to draw an older crowd. And so there were a lot of those motorized scooter wheelchair things. Uh -huh. um, in fact, it was kind of, I have to tell you, I have never seen it like in the hotel lobby because that's where you pick them up. There's, there was like a fleet of them. I mean, like it looked, I don't even know how to describe it. It would have been a fabulous photo had I bothered to take it. Anyway, so uh, one day uh, so a woman drove her motorized wheelchair into our table and uh, crashed it down, which was kind of hilarious. And, but luckily, uh, no one actually there was a, what? No one, no one was, was hurt. hurt, very luckily, and we all sort of laughed about it, and it was fine. Um, I'll also say that the motorized wheelchairs, I know that uh, Mariah, who I was with, she got run over by one and almost, like, really hurt herself. And uh, somebody else I know got rammed in the back with one of them. I think they're, I think people are not used to driving them. It's a little harder to control than you think, and they actually go incredibly fast. So you can get going, you know, pretty darn good. Um, and then actually that same day, a woman leaned on our table and again sent it crashing down. And this time the glass things that were on it fell off and broke. I, I caught the scanning cut with one hand and the tabletop with the other. And uh, some very nice men from some other booths came running over and helped get the table set back up. And, you know, but it was it was quite the adventure of things falling down. Hmm. Can you compare, now you've been to CHA, the Craft and Hobby Association, which is only for people in the trade, and now you've been to this, can you kind of compare the experience of 
being a demonstrator or walking the aisles at the two types of show? Well, I'm just going to say, I mean, the difference, I, I think first, it's hard to compare, obviously, like the quilt show and a paper show because the one is a trade show and one is a, a retail show. Right. And I think the difference between a trade show, which CHA is, is you're trying, when you're talking to people there and you're doing a demo, you're not trying to get them to be like, I want to use this. You're trying to get them to understand why their customers are going to be excited about it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, and you're telling them the reason that it's important to buy 15 of these, you know, and when you're doing it at a retail show, it's much more specialized. And that's what I mean about individual conversations, because what you're actually doing is talking to a single person about their single use for it. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a big, that's a big, huge difference. Now, the other thing is I said to someone who had been at Quilt Festival, I said, uh, I mean, sorry, at Quilt Market, which is the um, industry part of it. I said, you know, does Quilt Market feel really different than this? And she said to me, you know, it still has the same kind of homey feeling that this has. And it did. It did have a really nice, I will say, like homey feeling. Like you go around the booths, it's very friendly, everybody's very smiley, you know what I mean? And their booths are packed with stuff. And I will say that I have found CHA very, very, very corporate feeling lately. Um, partially because I think it's getting harder and harder in the paper industry. So the little companies are getting eaten and all that's left. I mean, I think American Crafts owns like 15 different you know, brands that used to be unique brands um, now. So everything is like these huge corporate booths with corporate salespeople and their corporate polo shirts. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel homey, for lack of a better word. And I felt the quilt show was very cozy. I mean, there were a couple corporate booths, obviously. I was in one of them. But for the most part, it felt very homey. Can you talk about the quilts themselves? You have made quilts in the past. You have won awards for your quilts in the past, and then you kind of got away from it. And now you seem... In fact, Mom, I actually had a small quilt hang at Quilt Festival a million years ago before I even knew that it was a great honor. So there you go. There you go. But now you seem re-energized about quilts. So talk about some of the quilts you saw and your thoughts about the directions that quilting is going and then about your own... Uh, wishes to re-enter the quilt world. Okay, so my brain's in like a thousand different places, so you'll have to steer me in the right direction here. But so the first thing I want to say is I've always had a deep um, love of quilting and wanted to be a quilter. And I remember like hand quilting with the Girl Scouts when I was a kid, and I loved that, and I love the little quilt that I made, and I still have it. Um, it's like a, it's miniature. It's like a two, maybe two foot by two foot, quilt it's so ugly but I love it uh and then uh when I graduated from college I remember the mom that I asked you for a sewing machine that was the gift that I wanted um as a graduation present from college and I remember we went to the dealer and the dealer said to you know because you go when you buy a sewing machine it's always a good idea to go to a sewing machine dealer because they have lots of different brands and they can help you make decisions they help you like they teach you and educate you right Mm mm-hmm So we went to the dealer, and I had done some research online, and she said, okay, we'll try out the various machines you were thinking of, but I had never sewn on a sewing machine before. I think I might have maybe at home ec in, like, eighth grade, but that was it. So I – it was really a hilarious experience because I didn't even know how to sew, so I wasn't sure what I was looking for or what I was trying out, you know. 
Um, and then I did what I usually do when I'm interested in something, which is I started consuming books. And then when I couldn't figure things out from books, I went to some local classes. And um, a friend of the family teaches quilting classes near my mom's house. So I went to go take one of her classes and see what it was all about. And it wasn't even a quilting class. It was just a sewing class. But I just needed to understand how, like, my sewing machine worked and stuff. Um, and then because I didn't know anything and I don't like to read directions and if there's a book with projects and project 10 is the hardest I always start at 10 instead of one because I'm stupid that way I started doing things because I didn't know any better and then I started posting things online and showing them to people and people got really excited by what I was doing because I was breaking rules but of course I didn't know the rules existed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so but that's what I was doing and then I went on um I went on scrapbook soup when it was called scrapbook memories and the host the uh the producer of that Kathy Stull also uh owns a show called uh quilting uh arts or something like that yes um (laughs) I can't even remember the name of it now. I, my brain has gone blank. You can put a link to it when you find I can. out what it I is. I will. QA the- TV. Yes, it is. It's Quilting Arts TV. So when she she liked me and she's like, you're really talented. You're awesome. Like, what else kind of other art stuff do you do? I said, oh, well, I quilt. And she said, oh, well, we'll have to have you on the, you know, the quilting show. So she talked to Pokey Bolton, who's a well-known. She was a longtime editor. And she's a founder of Quilting Arts Magazine, along with Cloth, Paper, Scissors. She founded both of those magazines. Um, so I met her and she liked what I was doing and she seemed to be impressed and blown away that I was incorporating all this stuff you weren't supposed to into quilts because I didn't know you weren't supposed to. Um, and so I went on that show and then she's like, you know, your work is really great for cloth, paper, scissors. And that sort of led into cloth, paper, scissors. And then quilts take a very long time to actually joined by the way the quilt guild here in new york and i was in some quilt shows here in new york and blah 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 etc etc quilts take a very long time to do and they take up a lot of space and at a certain point when i stopped making art purely for sort of fun and really it started to be a career uh i didn't have the time a to work on quilts because they just take a lot more time. Um, And B, you know, I'm frustrated constantly by the lack of space because there's all sorts of stuff I want to do, but it requires so much more space than I have in this apartment. Even just quilting, like a large quilt in my apartment is so hard to get the table space for the, because you have to, when you quilt a quilt, you have to like hold the weight up somehow and roll it in all these different ways. I don't have the space to even get it rolled up and stuff. So it's just very frustrating. So I got frustrated with it all. And so I still, you know, was doing some stitching and I made a ton of little quilts, like eight and a half by 11 inch quilts. And I made some slightly larger format, you know, but nothing bigger than like two feet by four feet would be the biggest just because it was hard to deal with the apartment. And also then just for speed, I sort of being interested in doing, you know, well, I'll just do the painting part of the surface design. Why would I also do the quilting part of it, you know? Um, but when I went to the show, and the show, by the way, I just, I can't, I'm not even sure I have, am articulate enough to express how blown away I was by what I saw. So there are a ton of traditional quilts, and they are glorious. 
They are, you know, uh, graphic and incredibly well done. And the workmanship is just amazing. Um, I am bow down to the people who create them. That is not my cup of tea. I would go crazy trying to get every the corners to match up so perfectly and everything to be so beautiful. And I would never be able to keep that white fabric white, but they are, they're works of art. Um, then there are a ton of, there's a huge movement in the quilt uh, world called modern quilting. And modern quilting, I think of as if you've ever seen the Guise Bend quilts that came around, they're very graphic. They tend to not use a lot of patterned fabric. Um, they often are simple. I don't mean simple in, um, I mean simple in, in a graphic sense, you know, and they're really interesting. So there was a great display of modern quilts that was there. There was also, um, there's something called art cloth, which is not dissimilar to how I was doing a lot of surface design and incorporating into my quilt. Surface design is just when you like paint or dye or whatever on top of your fabric before you actually stitch it. Um, there's a group of people who decided that they also didn't want to turn their fabric they were making into quilts, that it was the finished process. So there was a wonderful display of their art cloth, which is, you know, just, it, it's beautiful. There, it's often dyed in multiple prints and many layers. Sometimes it incorporates stamping and all sorts of printing and thermofaxes and collagraphs. It's just gorgeous. Um, and then there's a wide array of art quilts in many, many, many categories from painted quilts to uh, pets to what? landscapes. Huh? Pets? You mean? I mean, pet themed. Uh. There's no, no, nobody's <laughs> quilting their cat onto anything. Yeah. Okay. You know, and the quilts range from things that are, um, you know, very traditional quilts, meaning like it's a square and it has shapes on it done in unusual colors, you know, or like where there would normally be a very traditional flower, there's something more modern like a tribal face, um, to pieces that push at the boundaries of the word quilt because they're not, they're not shaped like a quilt. They're in circles. They're in strips. They're in pieces. They are not square. They have parts that come out. There were pieces made with non-traditional materials, meaning not fabric, um, paper and other stuff like that. There were, um, you know, also there are a lot of art dolls, which incorporate a lot of stitch and quilting into them, into the bodies and into the clothing. Um, just a real range of stuff. Now, I am obviously like anything else, like when I go to a museum, there are certain things I'm drawn to and certain things I'm not drawn to. I am always drawn to the sort of more graphic pieces. And even though there were some pieces that were breathtakingly well done, you know, like photorealistic quilts that I don't know how people like, wow. Okay. But they don't sing for me, you know, and I think that's just a personal choice always. But there were some pieces there that just, I don't know, I wanted to stare at and look at and think about, etc. And then the incredibly terrible egomaniac in me said the following. I can do this. 
Now we're talking about this is the best of the best. I mean, these are people who dedicate an enormous amount of time and energy and knowledge to this. And here I am with my pitchy little quilt knowledge. And that's all I can think as I'm walking around is I can do this. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of the beginning of my scrapbooking journey, which is as soon as I figured out that you could submit pages to magazines to be published, I thought, I can do this. Now it took me forever you know, to actually get my pages to a place where they were being published. And I couldn't understand why they weren't. But of course, when I look back, I now do totally. So yes, but I mean, I also think that the the egomaniac in me who says, I can do this, I want to do this, like that's part of the secret to success. And it's the reason I do push all the buttons. And it's the reason that I do try things I'm not ready for. Because I'm not afraid of failing and I'm not afraid of embarrassing myself and going out there and saying, I can do this. And then having people say, no, you can't. And then I'll say, I'll show you. Yes, I can. And coming back again, better, stronger, learning from the rejection, the mistake, the whatever, and seeing what can I do to make myself better the next time? What do I need to improve on? What's the difference between the scrapbook page that got accepted into the magazine and mine that didn't? What's the difference between the quilt that's hanging at quilt festival and the quilt that I made that's not? Excuse me. So maybe you really mean when you say I can do this, you mean I can learn to do this, which is a slightly different. You're not saying you can sit down and do it now, but you can see that you could learn to do this. Yes. And, you know, when you were talking about the different quilts, I was thinking it was not dissimilar from trends in, for example, mixed media or uh, other kinds of paper arts. Excuse me. (coughs) While I cough in your ear. Uh, This idea of mixing different materials and going in a different direction than the traditional excuse me mom before you die of coughing <laughs> yeah, why don't you mute your mic and have a sip Sorry, of water everybody. and we can all because if you actually die during the podcast that'll be very upsetting to me uh, because after all you have promised to never die i think that was the agreement that we there had you go. but don't you think there's a similar movement in all these artistic areas yeah I mean I think there's a similar movement in beating like I used to be this I I know I sound like a total dilettante now but I I had I had a passionate love affair with beating for a very long time I went to the beaten button you know show out in Milwaukee um, Milwaukee you came with me at least once or twice right? right and that again it's like you see that there are people doing this traditional beadwork and then people are going crazy and instead of putting like a traditional cabochon in the middle of something they're using a glass eyeball you know, or whatever it is. Like, I think, I think the thing about art of any kind that's so fantastic is the further along that we get, the more that people are willing to say, yes, that's okay too. Yes, that's okay too. Because I think for a long time, there was like a lot of pushback against, no, I'm going to rigidly define things in this one way, you know? And it's like, it just, I think people constantly want to categorize and constantly want to put rules and boundaries on things, which is again why people say, like, if I, if push comes to shove, I always say I'm a mixed media artist just because that means I use a lot of different stuff smushed together. But honestly, like, mixed media and craft are the same thing, right? They, you incorporate a lot of stuff and you smush it together. Um, but really, like, I make a lot of different things and it's sort of impossible to define 
where my art sits at this point. And maybe that makes me a dilettante or unfocused or who knows. But I mean, I, I'm Julia. I, I like to make stuff. And I like to make stuff in a variety of styles and with a variety of materials. Well, if you look at the contemporary art world, there's so many combinations of things that used to be rigidly separated. I mean, if you film yourself doing a performance, is the filming, film the art, is the doing the performance of the art? And then when you put it on the wall and we're watching it, you know, how do you define that? And I just think that people are now open to the idea that in quilting or in any of these other fields, you are you don't separate, you incorporate, and it makes you think about things in a different way. I know when we go to the museum, uh, a museum that has contemporary art in it, it's always something that's challenging to me. It always makes me, first I stop and I say, what is that? <laughs> and then I have to think about what was the artist's intent? And if it made me think about it, then I think it succeeded. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those things like people always say, which is the worst reaction you can have to art is no reaction at all, which is people, you should either love it or you should hate it. But if you feel sort of meh about it, then it hasn't done its job. Hmm. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's what the they say. Well, they are very important. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you're back... How are you going to, well, you may not know this yet because you're probably digesting the experience, but how is this quilting exposure going to show up in your art? I don't know. And I, right now I'm at the phase where I'm grumpy, which is to say I came home, my studio is a mess, of course, because I left it in a mess and I'm looking at it thinking, how the heck am I going to do a quilt in here? And I'm all I want is more space, and now it's like I need to move in order to do that, and I don't know. I'm, I'm, so I'm in the grumpy phase where I'm like, this isn't going to work. This stinks. My life's terrible. I'm going to crawl to the bottom of a hole and beat myself on the head or, you know, whatever. Um, but I assume if you, happen, by the way, if you film that, then you've yeah. got a performance art piece. Yes, performance art. I love it. Um. And, uh, oh, and you know what else? Then I could have somebody come take photos of me with my bloody head and all of my sadness. And then that would be another art installation to do. Wow. How great. I love contemporary art. Okay. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I also have to tell you that the reality, like when I left Quilt Fest, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm imagining all these quilts I was going to do. Um, and the reality of being home, of course, has set in because now I'm looking at the pile of to-dos, the deadlines that are looming and the things that I need to do as opposed to the things that I would like to do. And plus, I know my next big sewing project is I have to finish the curtains that I've promised my brother. Uh, and I think since I have, he's already designed how he wants them, he doesn't want me probably making them into quilts. Um, so. Well, he has one. You've made one. I've made one of three. I need to finish the other two. I just need to get through my to-dos and he can have more than uh, one curtain in his room. Um, but so I think, and I could be wrong, that one of the big takeaways I'm feeling is I tend to, because I work in a small space, 
I tend to overcomplicate things, meaning I tend to make things very like detailed and small instead of large and graphic. And I came away from the show just in love with the simplicity of large and graphic. And I don't yet know how that's going to play out in what I do, but it's an idea that I feel like I want to chase. Again, in my studio, I'm not sure how to do that, just given space constraints, et cetera, and even just getting far enough away from a canvas, a quilt, my art journal, whatever. But I, I really loved just how standing 100 feet away from a, a really graphic quilt, you saw it in a different way than some of the other quilts you needed to be up close to see their beauty. Well, sounds like you're about to get a factory or a barn. I know. If only, right? The Here I come. Where has a lot of factories and barns? I don't know. Wisconsin? <laughs> here I come, Wisconsin. Um, good cheese, I'm sure. Except that I don't think I could be a Packers fan. I have to say a Patriots fan. Uh, uh. I know. And that would be dangerous territory to be in. Anyway. Not like being a Patriots fan in New York City is great with all the Jets and Giants fans, but that's a separate conversation and not related to art. Anyway. So uh, now that you're back and you've had this whole experience, would you change anything about the way you, you did the trip? Um, I would go to the doctor before getting on the airplane. That Good. would be Good the smart. That would be a, been a better choice than getting on it. But, you know, I think it's like before a trip, you're, I'm just, I was so focused and I felt obligated that I had a job to do. And even though I felt terrible, I was like, whatever, it'll be fine. I'll get there. I'll muscle through. But then when I started like convulsing in the cab on the way the, to the uh, hotel, I was like, hmm, I think I need to go to the hospital right now. And when I called my doctor and told her my symptoms, she was like, yes, go to a hospital. Stupid. Um, so yes, that's one of the things I would do differently. Um, I would have packed differently because I was cold. The convention center was cold. So I would have packed a couple of warmer clothes. Um, but you know, I have to tell you my favorite part of the whole convention besides seeing the amazing quilts was I really appreciated the people who came by to say hello. I know a couple of them said, I'm sorry to bother you or something like that. And I'm always like, are you kidding me? It's never bothered me. I'm always delighted when people come by and they want to take a photo or they, you know, tell me that they read my blog. I mean, that means a lot to me. I spend an enormous amount of my life putting stuff out there and I kind of never know whether people are hearing it, reading it, seeing it. So it's exciting and thrilling and all that kind of stuff when people say, yeah, I'm here and I'm listening and that makes me excited. So that was really the best part, you know, okay. of the trip. I think people don't realize it's like putting on a play only there's no audience. And it really feels kind of empty until somebody's out there laughing or responding. Yeah. I mean, one of the nicest things is that like, and you know this, which is every day I call you. And like the first thing I say to you is, what did you think of my blog post? What did you think of, you know, whatever, because it's, it's nice to get the feedback. It's nice to know what's happening or, you know, like these podcasts that we do, I, I can see the uh, people are listening. I can see the thousands of people are listening, but you know, it, you never get that feedback. So meeting the people in person and getting the hug and saying hello and seeing the face, like it's nice. Well, all right. What's your, uh, next big travel? I know you just also came back from doing classes in Toronto, so you've been traveling a bit. 
Yeah, last month was a big travel month. Last month was a big travel month. Luckily, I think my next big trip is uh, Thanksgiving, frankly. Um, And then I don't think I have any traveling in December. There's a workshop I'm thinking of taking, but I'm having – it's actually a quilting workshop, which I was thinking of taking before I went to Quilt Fest, and I'm kind of even more excited now. But I'm having the following indulgent question, which is it's a long workshop. Like it's a full week. I'd have to be away. Mm. And I'm having a whole, like, can I take a week vacation from my business, you know what I mean, kind of question. And it's a, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But I, you know, I love taking classes. And I don't know if I should do it. Speak to your boss. (laughs) My boss is very indecisive. That's one of the things I don't like about her. But yes, yes. Okay, so, Mom, you didn't, do you have any opinions or thoughts? You didn't really share a lot of uh, your thoughts on the whole thingamabob. Not that you were there, but, you know, from what you heard and what we talked about. I have no thoughts whatsoever. That is one of my issues. <laughs> okay. I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that. And I heard uh, that you managed to have two trick-or-treaters this year. You know, it's sad. I live in a, a place where there are no neighbors with children on my block. There's a park across the street, so there's no houses. To my right across the street, there is a school, so there's nobody who lives there. And the street is rather dark at night. And I think people nowadays do not want their children to go to houses where they don't know the people. And I fully understand that. So every year I buy candy that I know I will eat, (laughs) I will enjoy after Halloween. Well, I always think that those people miss out because I know you have so few trick-or-treaters that you always buy the full-size candy. Well, I went to the smaller size this year because I can't eat full-size candy. Okay. There you go. Anyway. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap up. And as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. Notice that the hashtag has changed. And thanks so much for for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.